Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Krakowski. Thanks for joining me today. All right, in this episode, I get to jam with Steve Holliner, aka Coach Fury from Brooklyn, New York. Steve's been a longtime leader in the world of kettlebell training, original strength, the DVRT systems, and functional movement. He's a former master RKC instructor, and he's taught these systems of strength all over the world, as well as being the founder of Speak Easy of Strength. So I was fortunate to meet Steve about eight years ago when he was an assistant at a certification I attended. So I was excited to reconnect and jam on strength, on creating a culture, and being authentic as a coach in this industry. So here's just a couple of uh, New York guys just nerding out on coaching and strength. Such a fun time, and I hope you enjoy this talk. All right, so if you do like it, please take a moment, give it a review, and make sure you subscribe so you can catch all new episodes that drop every week here. Help spread that message of strength. All right, thank you very much, and now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, and Coach Fury, what's up, man? It's good to see you. It's been too long. Likewise, we were, we were saying just earlier, uh, 20, May? That was in May. May of, May, four, May of 2014. The first yeah. dome. The first dome, yeah. That one was so I think there was like, man, there must have been over 200 people at that one for like the, like the level one and two SFG. And you were my assistant in level two at that time yeah. with Prentice. And, uh, and I, I think it was, I think it was Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Steenrod. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was, a, it was, that was epic. Like yeah. I remember the end we had the level two people swinging, facing all the level <laughs> one people. And at the same time, like having a swing off with uh, Ari Harris like running a clap off within the whole thing. It was amazing. Oh my. And I remember, I remember there was, I think it was Whitley versus Fabio and they were going back and forth to see which cert could be louder in swings (laughs) doing 10 at a time. And then I remember Dave, like we did 10 and then they did 10 and he's like, all right, when you do 10 and they start theirs, you just keep swinging because you're level two. So we just did like a hundred swings screaming at the top of our lungs, like every rep. And now instead of 10, we've got to do 20. It was, it was awesome. That place was huge. That was actually turned out to be like the last, it was shortly after that, that I ended up going on to the RKC. Uh, I was, was going to say that's, there. that's when you took a role as master RKC. I remember like a month or two afterwards. Senior first, been. it was yeah, senior okay. first. And then a, a year after that in a master, that was, I think, uh, I knew that I was sort of hit a point where uh, how much am I going to assist? Yeah. Uh, I loved and learned so much, but that one was one where I'm like, you know, when uh, you've assisted, yeah. yeah. Like mm-hmm. when, when you assist, but the outside world doesn't know it, it's a wonderful learning experience. And you really get to know everybody, which is super great. And that yeah. having this being a second career, that is basically what I would say was my college education and training mm-hmm. was assisting at courses, whether it was kettlebells or, you know, DVRT with Josh Hankin or with yep. Tim at OS. Um, but I don't think there, the, 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 and there's like a status that comes with that for sure. But I think people that are attending don't realize like, you know, most of that, that's mostly out of our own pockets. Oh yeah. And, and at a certain point, <laughs> It's like, I think that's, it's time to teach. Oh yeah, Um, absolutely. (laughs) But it was awesome. I mean, Angam and I have, he, I've been able to help him out on a number of things and I just always learn so much and he's such a character. Um, Yeah. I, I, you know, I obviously, like I, I used to work at five points Academy, which was, is still the hub of strong first in New York, Mm -hmm. but at the prior to the split was the hub of, you know, the RKC as well. They weren't doing RKC's small style at that point, but uh, yeah. So it's, it's cool to like, it was like a really big, if that was going to be my last event with that group as an assistant, um, it was awesome. And, oh yeah, you know, I, I I still always supported, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously I was getting paid to teach and, but uh, it was always interesting after when people would be like, oh, yeah, I've, I've chosen this side or I'm this. And I'm like, well, don't we teach kettlebells? I mean, it's really. Oh, I know. It's and I'm sure we'll dive into that. It's what like, it's about. Yeah. You know, definitely people get a little zealot, you know, on it and stuff. But it's I know I'm actually going down to C5 points in December. I'm assisting Steve over there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I've never been down there and I've seen the pictures of it. I know Ian who works over there as well. And I think, uh, you know, John Ingham's going to be there as well. So that'll Ian's be a really good guy. Um, yeah. During the shutdown, part of the things we did while we had a space, I couldn't have people training in. We, we 
I started buying kettlebells in bulk from Perform mm. Better and selling gear out of the speakeasy. So Ian would come and buy bells for himself and his clients. Really good dude. Oh yeah. Oh, Ian's awesome. But I, I get what you're saying too. It's like, it is the assistant when you first do it, it's like, it's an exciting thing because you're teaching it, you know, you're teaching other instructors and there's something that feels really powerful about that. But it's like, if you're traveling at all, like it's, it's all expenses there. It's like, they're giving you the experience and it is great. But if you do that for so long, eventually it's like, okay, like I want to, we have to ascend. Everybody has to ascend into a next level at some point. Yeah, there's a a wonderful learning curve that happens with that when you get to, you know, you could you know by now as well as most of the people listen to this. Like when you certify, you learn like almost the smallest amount, right? Like you kind of like eke out the techniques. Probably did an okay job coaching, but it's really the after. But there's always that like, did I really wrap my head around that thing? You know, for me, it was always the windmill and the bent press were always like, am I getting that right? You know, or clean and jerk. The jerk is a really complicated thing, I think, Mm -hmm. to teach, especially in a small group or format. And sometimes you just have to be there and watch five different people teach it. And one of them, it connects. Like I remember, you know, I must have seen eight different people teach a windmill. And then Brett made this comment about, you know, an arrow in the hip. I think it might have was, was that at? He wasn't at the No, dome. he wasn't at that it one. It must no, have yeah. been at uh, one of Phil's at, at, out in Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like, that makes so much sense now. Yeah. And it was like f- four years in a, being a certified level two instructor. And I was like, yeah. it took four years of going and seeing multiple people to just be like, that was the thing that just solidified. Yeah. Um, so it's an awesome learning experience. And then you have to make the decision, A, financially, is this viable? Um, B, am I getting enough nuggets still? Not that it's never ever not valuable, but has it been worth the price to pick up a cue or two? Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, the sad thing I think for a lot of us is to ultimately go, I'm going to bump some people out. I hope I don't mean to is we should all be proud of our accomplishments. But I think the reality is most of our members just don't give a shit. Like they're just assuming we know our stuff Yes. and the acronyms and the initials, very few really even investigate what that is. Now, mind you, I'm sure you get people off of the strong first sight. I guess don't definitely have gotten people off of mm-hmm. the dragon door and OS and DVRT, but that probably makes up like 2% of my income. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the rest are just assuming at this point that like, I've done a great job or physical therapists that have been like, this guy does a great job. Yeah. Um, so it's like also weighing in that when you're thinking of the cost, like what is the return of investment, both from an education and then like, is this a marketable thing? And to right. some degree for me, it, look, for me, it also worked because I, I grew into teaching certs um, mm-hmm. for a few groups. For most of us, that doesn't happen so much. Or even if, uh, uh, you know, you get to teach one a year, it's not necessarily like a ton of money coming in. And I think I would right. like to break, it's not to diss it. I would like to break down this barrier I like to tell people somewhere, I don't know if they have crunches up by you, but you might have the most followers on Instagram or teach the most certs a year. There's probably a trainer at crunch that no one will ever hear their name outside of that crunch that is just making more money than us. Yeah. Because he's just got a great personality is doing the work and crushing sessions. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's like the hard part in this thing. And it's been something that took me a long time to like kind of grow and get my head around as a second career was like, where does the education and the initials and the titles meet the actual professionalism and success, right. you know, and personality of being a coach? Yeah, it, it's it's funny kind of staying on that aspect of, of assisting because I've done it a few times and it's always a joy. It's always a privilege to do it as well. If you're doing it like all the time, like anything, things get stale. It's like how much are you actually like, you know, getting from that. It's like, if you add a cue or so, I think the environment sometimes, like, I think Dan John talks about that, like once a year, like go into the immersive, like you have like a weekend where, you know, you get out of, you know, your own forest, you know, so you can see the trees again and kind of immerse. And it is, it's that, you know, I think RKC, I think Strong First, they've built such good communities around of people who, because you've had some rite of passages that you go through. 
But when you're actually, sure. when you come back to the people that most of us are working with general population, they don't give a shit what the hell your you know, letters stand for after the, <laughs> that was in one of Mike Boyle's, one of his best uh, pressers that I ever saw. I think it was like his 25 years, 25 mistakes. And <laughs> he said like, nobody cares if you're RKC or KFC or whatever it is kind of <laughs> make it fun. But his first thing on that, I remembered it to this day is, are you an asshole? He's like, if you, it doesn't matter what you know, what you like say, if somebody trusts you and somebody enjoys being around you, you're probably going to do really good in this business. And it kind of segues a bit into the work that I saw with Speakeasy. And I don't know much about it. I'm curious to um, hear more about it today with you, Steve, but the place just looks like a lot of fun. Like it would just go <laughs> in and just looks like it's fun to go into. And I know you worked with Mark Fisher before. And that's how I kind of saw Mark's, you know, work that he does. Yeah. Of, you know, dressing up and the unicorns and stuff. I'm like, okay, this is for people who want to have fun with it as well. I'm like, I think this is a really, you know, good brand. So I think that's one thing I've told other coaches I've talked to, like, don't take yourself so seriously in this stuff. It's like, have, like, have fun with it. If we're enjoying the process, we're all going to be a lot better off. Uh, especially, I mean, I, I'm sure like I'm most familiar with the kettlebell world, right? So like for us as kettlebell hard style, like we, it is too easy for us to try to be so serious mm -hmm. all the time. And so there's a quote, a Pavel quote, I, I misquote, I might misquote this, but it's to the effect paraphrasing um, people that need to be entertained while training are not serious about training. For me, if I'm having fun and creating a positive environment to get people that normally wouldn't stick with the gym, because let's be honest, you and I are outliers. We still train mm -hmm. decades in now. Um, but if I can just have more fun, create a more fun experience and get people that normally would not be successful in the gym to keep coming back, how serious does like a mom of three need to be about her training yeah. Or uh, her, li account, her life is pretty serious and, or an accountant, you know, like how uh, if I have a lawyer or an accountant, how serious does their training need to be? Now, I if I'm training a fighter, which I, I'm not, um, but if I were training a fire or a competitive athlete or a firefighter or, you know, a responder, that would be different. There's a, a different set of potential life and death circumstances on the day to day or a competition, a win loss. Mm -hmm. But you know, I mean, you know how it is. Look, I'm just going to break it down. No one ever goes into a gym door for the first time feeling awesome about themselves. Like, I'm so fucking perfect. Let's go work out. Yeah. You know, just to get more perfect. Everyone comes in scared, not loving something about themselves or many things about themselves. And they all feel weird. So I've been in those environments, you mm -hmm. know, and I've been at MFF. And I'd like to think that the speakeasy really is... uh the truest expression of myself and my training philosophy all in one, as opposed to trying to present myself as a coach this way and my training philosophy this way. And then me as a human being this way, like it, I don't want to say authentic, but there is no wall. So in terms of the speakeasy, speakeasy of strength is the full name. Yep. Uh, we got that name because it started here. We're in my apartment in my living room. So I had tried to build something. I was talking to renting space out of the local gym, one of the places where I got my start. And they abruptly closed in 2018. And I was looking at trying to find some space to rent. And my was kind of getting like dragged around. Oddly, somebody was trying to leverage my name as a presenter. I'm like, you need better, more powerful friends. Like no one right. knows who I am. <laughs> And my wife was like, why don't you just do it here? We, we're fortunate to be in Brooklyn and have a big living room. So like I'm on my dining room table now. This would slide to the side. I would put mm -hmm. six yoga mats in. I had collected over the years. You know how we used to go to those big kettlebell certs and they would sell the kettlebells at a discount. If I had my car, I'd buy 12 of them at like 50% yeah. off. So I already had some like 60 bells, 13 sandbags. Yeah. I was already teaching, you know, certs for sandbags. So we would fill the bags, bring them. And then I would, you know, buy them back or keep them here. So we had all the gear. So we were doing small group here. So when we finally got into the space, which was kind of like unplanned and abrupt, people liked being in the living room and seeing my posters and the nerdy toys. So I just brought like the vibe of the living room yes. to the speakeasy. But then also now as a business was like, what 
impacted me as a kid and it would be the local comic book shop, the local tattoo shop, the local record shop. Mm -hmm. Like how do I local skate shop, obviously like how do I create that vibe? And that's what I went for. There was like, most of the stuff was already here at the apartment. And then like, it was kind of nice to like expense off a bunch of vintage skateboard decks, like reissues and and some star Wars helmets and stuff. But that's what I wanted. I, I, I would rather, I want people to feel hopeful and optimistic as opposed to threatened or judged when they come <laughs> in to train with me. Now that might be somebody else might have the complete opposite thing. Right. But um, I think we're very good at an industry on our best. We can have people have like longer, more quality time and lives <laughs> with doing the things they love with the people they love at our worst. We judge them and scare them out of the door and then bark at them for not coming into the door. It's like digging a moat, putting spikes in the moat, sharks with laser beams in the moat and going, why is nobody coming to our, to our door to train? Right. It's because we just put spikes and laser sharks at at our front door. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not looking for that. I'm not interested in that. I also, I think that's from me coming in, in my, I got, I think went through my kettlebell cert 2010. Mm -hmm. So I was already like late thirties. Um, I've already gone through the whole adult thing of building a career, finding a home, you know, like building a house and starting a family, all that stuff. So I also know what it's like to build a career and a life outside of training, not being a trainer, judging people that would have been me not coming in and working out. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. Right. Um, But I bring that perspective, uh, which is why it drives me crazy when people are like, you know, for the price of your iPhone and, and a coffee every day, you could be training it. You say my rates are too expensive. It's like, that's a very selfish <laughs> yeah. way to look at it when somebody might be at a job they hate to pay off their mortgage and keep their two or three kids going yeah. to the better school, at least in Brooklyn, you know, like where it's like people are like, that's like sweating bullets about what school they're going to go into. Um, right. And I'll also admit in the beginning of days of becoming a trainer, I so wanted to get like, uh, I wanted respect as somebody new that I got caught up a little bit in the hard style ego game and all sure. that stuff as well. And I just had a, I think actually my time at Mark Fisher fitness helped edge that off. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's why it's a, it's like, I, I want people to, if I can establish uh, optimism and hope in a fun environment as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that there's an honesty behind me and the team to our members or our potential members that just makes our process even better. Cause by the time, like our age category is usually like mid thirties to mid fifties. Yep. By that time, if people have gone to other gyms, they've either had shitty trainers or gotten hurt or had like a great trainer that they haven't been with in 10 years. But a lot of them feel like this hasn't worked before. So I want to establish a connection and trust and then hope that they're going to get better, especially like physical therapy referrals. Like if, right. if that person comes in with chronic pain and no hope, and I can't change that mindset, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to win because holding themselves back. Yeah. And that's the goal. Just make it a fun spot where they know they're getting really well, highly skilled training and programming, but also that like, we really care and want to have fun in the process, but it's not about just having fun. It is about doing the work. It's the environment where we do the work. Right. You know, it's funny. They, I mean, they bring this term up in the medical field, which is bedside manner. It's like, Mm -hmm. you need to have a good bedside manner, you know, and it's the same thing when we're talking about coaching in here. And I wonder if like, sometimes we think that you need to be that hard ass when you first get into something. Cause if you let your guard down and not be serious, then people won't take you serious. Cause it's probably like a little bit of that imposter syndrome right off the bat. Like, you, you don't have a reference point of being a coach yet. So maybe you're brand new. So you think you need to put on this facade to get in. Um, not realizing that, you know, one of my stories I've told a million times is from Helen. She was like a 90 year old woman who was one of the first clients in the first years that I worked with. And she wanted to open up the peanut butter jar. That was her goal because she couldn't grip anymore. She got to, you know, her arthritis was acting up and that was a big part of her day. And it was like one of those things in my head that just completely changed of like, Oh, wow. What are you talking about? You don't want aesthetics? Like, you know, you know, yeah. I just was a young guy just thinking it was all about like looks and, you know, the, the, you know, the ego behind it when it's like, oh no, this is quality of life stuff. And a few weeks down the road, she brought in a peanut butter jar and opened it in front of me. And I said, the look on the face was like, she just won the Olympics. It's like, oh wow. It's like, there's something really different here. 
going and, on. And if you could think like and appreciate the gift that you gave her, right? Like the ability to do something she thought was lost. That's not just an appearance. Like aesthetics are part of this, you know, but to speak easy, we're, we're more of a capability shop, right? Like we are about, we're going to, we're going to help you move better, feel stronger, more powerful to do what you want to do outside of the gym. We don't, we don't market to fat loss. We have members coming in for it, but like, it's just not our, we're not a transformation center in that way. Um, It's for somebody that has lost that ability or is at the edge of not reclaiming it. Cause that's the other thing. There are parts as you start to get older where like that, that fight to get back is so hard. I mean, it's amazing. And it's a, but like, it doesn't make a great blog, you you know, like on Instagram, that might not be as important, but that's the shit that like will make me tear, you know, like that's the important stuff. Oh, I I think about it still. And I get emotional, you know, it's funny. You know, the other thing you said there too, Steve was, you know, about, you know, people and, especially if they're in their thirties, they're in their forties, they're in their fifties. It's like, there's a 99.99% chance. You are not the first person that they're talking to about this, which means they failed before. So it's so interesting. You talked about like opening up your living room on that and seeing the toys out there and stuff. Was that, did the people who came in, did they kind of give you that feedback of like, Oh, wow, this is a really fun place to train or. Uh, I think it just, I could tell, so it was weird, right? So we're going to frame this as well. New York City, 2016, this is starting, the speakeasy started 2018. Mm-hmm. So like with my friends and group and my demographic, like uh, I don't want to make this political, but like the 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 hard right, hard left stuff was going on. And, I'll, you know, there was a lot of threat. And this is yeah. also in the heat of the Me Too thing. So the speakeasy came up in the living room, but you really had to like know somebody or know me to feel comfortable coming into my apartment. I'm in an industrial right. area at the edge of a neighborhood. Like, so it was definitely like helped bring the alarm levels down to mm-hmm. be like, you're in my living room. Here's pictures of my kids. Here's my dog, you know, right. and you know, this is where it all. So you can see what I'm really about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also, I think where like uh, being somebody that at the time was traveling a lot and certifying instructors. So there's a credibility and then there's like, welcome to my home. And we really, put it as welcome to my home. You're in my home. Like this is not just, it's amazing to have you here, but also know like you're in my home. You're now part of the family. And I think that really stuck. And I'll, when we opened the speakeasy, like a year later, it was so unplanned. Like we don't have uh, an investor or a financial backer. I didn't have a small business loan. We, we were, and still to some degree are like month to month, we're profitable. Mm-hmm. And we're putting money away and like, we're growing. It's great. We survived the pandemic, which we should be. I do have elements of survivor guilt in terms of, a, you know, a, sure. a lot of local fitness facilities and martial arts spots closed. Um, but so I didn't have like, I'm like, I'm going to decorate it like our living room. Let's keep yeah. this vibe going. It's also the stuff that just inspires me, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and I can kind of go back and justify to my high school self, like you're never going to believe that you're a coach because he would have been like dumb jock. Like that's how I was as a skate punk. He would have been like right. fucking jock. What are you doing? You're a coach. <laughs> but there's Star Wars helmets, the skateboard decks, and you know, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer toys. He'd be like, oh, that's amazing. Good job growing right. up. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was really it. It was just like, here's me. Uh, I think if for anybody that's uh, taken a course with me or heard me speak on a podcast mm-hmm. or had a drink with me or whatever. I don't have an artifice of this is my presenter voice and this is my teaching voice. Um, mm-hmm. My wife will say that I have an intro voice to my videos on Instagram and shit. But so I wanted to keep that as, as, as on the level as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just helps, but it was financial. Yeah. And, and it does serve a purpose, but it wasn't intended. It was both to help bring people at ease and have fun and feel comfortable, but mm-hmm. it was also to let me feel inspired within it. Uh, and I'm not going to lie like that totally during the shutdown in New York City helped keep me sane as I yeah. was like the only one in there for months. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's, there's a couple threads in there that are so important. I mean, one kind of putting your own personality into your coaching. It's, I mean, that's a form of self-care in many ways you know, of doing that and kind of building that around. Was that something that you always, like when you wanted to build your own space, was that something like important to you in the back of your mind? Like when you first got started or was that kind of a, 
a thought of culture that kind of came as, you know, just kind of as you got into your career? I think if I think of starting at my career Mm -hmm. as a coach, right? So like second life, part-time moving forward into full-time coaching, I wanted to be myself, but I also wanted to be recognized as being very good. I wanted, not that I was at the beginning, by the way, but like I wanted to be a great coach. I'm not saying I am now, but like my goal was, I didn't just want to do this and count reps. I wanted a, a master kettlebells. You know, I'm not saying I'm there either, by the way, like I, I want to stress that we're all still learning, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to get like kettlebells. I've said this before, were like skateboarding to me where there's techniques and there's skills and you could mm-hmm. dial that in. And that's like landing a trick. And that sung to me, same thing with the sandbag, ultimate sandbags and DVRT land. Yeah. So I just wanted to be really good. And then as a coach, quite frankly, I wanted to be respected as being very good because I needed to make money. Like I gave up a six figure mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Like I lost like $80,000 basically overnight when I f- officially quit to go full-time coach. It mm-hmm. was just like, all right, now we're in scrap mode. Mm-hmm. And what I don't talk about much is shortly after that, my marriage ended and I was like literally like rebuilding my life. It was like, I might as well have graduated <laughs> from college again. Mm-hmm. So I got caught in the ego game and you'd mentioned like, you know, this like hard ass thing. I mean, let's face it. We did that to ourselves in the old days of the RKC. It softened, I think, a lot over the years in Strong First. It softened in the RKC. But the sure. old days of the RKC, you were going to like almost like a faux tactical beat down. It was like a military weekend. <laughs> I mean, you we had to carry our kettlebell to the bathroom for the, up until lunch of the first day. You know, you had to tuck your shirt in as an assist. Like there's just like shit that's like, we're not that. So we right. did that to ourselves in terms of like establishing elitism, but also was a hard ass and tough love and, you know, all that mm. stuff. Like I'm never punching the back of my fist to somebody's belly. Cause what do most people have the most inherent awkward emotions about on their own body is their belly. It's their belly. Yeah. Right. And if you can't understand the words out of my mouth, like that's why my members aren't with you, anybody out there. I'm not saying that condescending, but there's a, there's a line that you have to be responsible where like, yeah, no, that's like, I'm going to go tap you in the thing right. that bothers you the most it's like finding somebody and then tapping them in the back of the tricep and going tighten up and it's just it's just not going to happen <laughs> right um so i think it's just coming up with the approach to become more myself finding that comfort and i think my time a the years of being a coach and presenting and i think mm-hmm. that you had mentioned you know training trainers like when you assist is a yeah. wonderful experience it gives you another side of clarity and dealing with personalities, especially when everyone's trying to get alpha, you know, or right. you always have somebody trying to outsmart the group. And also kind of removing myself from that hard style elitism. Sure. And acknowledging that I'm not elite. I'm never going to be the, the leanest, strongest, most mobile in the room. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do a good job with what I got with 30 plus years of skate, almost 40 years of skateboarding, yeah. you know, damage at this point. Um, and then finding the confidence, and this is a hard one, finding the confidence that some people are going to hate me and I got to be okay with that because they're not the ones that are going to pay my bills. Like I am a type of personality. I have a type of service and it's not meant to be a Globo gym service. It's not meant to be for, it, it should be available for everyone, but it won't be a fit for everyone. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I, I need to be okay with finding the people that love it here as opposed to just people that come here. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's the I, Seth Godin tribe thing. Yeah. Like, I'd rather have a hundred people that love the speakeasy than a thousand people that think we're okay. Yeah. That's such an important point there, Steve. I heard a quote the other day, which is if you're a friend to everybody, then you're an enemy to yourself. And I was like, Ooh, I'm like, that's exactly it. Because it's like, and you couldn't, you can be the if the hard ass aspect of it, of like very like staunch and militarist, there's, there's a piece of that where some people need that. There's a discipline aspect of it and totally get it. But also like, especially for most of the people that we're working with, and I don't know if this is about you because you have a lot more experience of working with coaches and coaching coaches. It's fun, but that's almost, it's almost very easy. It's like, it's, it's, it's an easy weekend in many ways, you know, to do it as far as like the content, like you need to be on your game. You need to learn it, but everybody there, they've already have kind of like a vested interest. You can go deep into the material, but 
working with somebody who's gone through three or four trainers and is really have a very low self-image yeah. of themselves and getting a, that's where some different work comes into play as a coach. So it's like, that's kind of combining the mindset side of it with the physical side of it. And I think part of the mindset side, and I keep going back into kind of the environment that you created of speakeasy, but it's kind of creating an environment that feels very open, very like comfortable yes. for somebody to get into. I make an ass out of myself daily, if not hourly there, just goofing around saying dumb jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes the wall of pretension down. You know, I'll also say it, it, it's, it, there's this wall and I feel like social media does this makes this worse for us. Whereas like we post position ourselves as the experts and that's what like those things are largely for, by the way, noticing the Darth Vader mug. Mm -hmm. oh, awesome. Um, but as a trainer, our ego sometimes gets in the way of acknowledging that our client who might eat like shit, drink heavily every night, also has become a master in their field. But it's easy as a coach or a trainer to become condescending and think that our job is so much more important. We've invested in this skill set while completely devaluing the mastery that that person might have in their own world. That also, let's be honest, has probably established them to be more financially successful than most of us in trainer land. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it and does. I'm just yeah. very aware of that. And, and I think part of that, the hard part is every trainer starting out young or old, we're hustling sessions, you know, like, and it's like, we'll do an independent for like 25% of our worth. We'll work at a gym that just, you know, fortunately, I never had this. I've been blessed mm -hmm. to start at five points and then move to Mark Fisher Fitness even to do my independent training at places like Catalyst in the city. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot, any horror stories in that, that well, mm -hmm. but you could see it. Like I'm going to do my friend in their apartment for $30. I'm going to do this thing. All right. I'll give you a discount for this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to work at this gym. Uh, and, and we're just scrounging and then we're bouncing all around. And there's a reason why now like the, the, the career span of a trainer is like a year. I think when I started, it was yeah. two. Now it's a year. Uh, I'm 12 years in now. So like stoked doing you something know, right. Yeah. Doing something right. But, uh, I think that's like the, 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 the creating the environment isn't just to shit on the walls. It's how you represent yourself and how you listen and react and respond to people. And mm -hmm. that's the stuff that like, we can follow trends on a social media thing, which I'm horrible at, but I guess I do a good enough job that people can go on on the speakeasy's Instagram page and get a sense of who we are. Yeah. So if you max out with Google reviews and Yelp reviews and word of mouth, awesome. Yeah. But to rely on any one without the other, like I wanna, you know, like I just, uh, we have wonderful talented people that all have their own struggles and successes and mine as a coach are no more valuable. Although I think we have an amazing profession and industry mm -hmm. that we're a part of, uh, but they're no more like valuable than someone else's. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, especially in the time that we're in now with health and fitness, because, you know, there was the their online coaching has been around for a while. I mean, it was it was pre-COVID, but it really kind of went into a whole different realm <laughs> when COVID happened. And all of a sudden, everybody jumped into saying they're an online coach and, yep. you know, thinking this is like an easy route to go in. And I think a lot of other people, too, who were clients thought the same thing. Oh, I can just, you know, get this coach. And you have to almost position yourself like you're this huge expert on it, but I know you've, I mean, you've done both of it too. I think you went down the path before COVID. Yeah. I, online, right. Yeah. Uh, so one of the, one of the ways I started getting my name out aside from just assisting a lot, which introduced me to a lot of coaches, there is value in that, by the way, you will potentially get to train trainers, not yeah. just uh, within the context of the cert, but I had failed my press at my RKC level two. Um, I just choked and then passed it when I landed. Uh, you know, this was back when everything, all of these were at St. Paul, uh, yep. Minnesota and came back, passed it. And then I, I just wrote myself a program. I'm like, that's never going to happen again. And I, I, I made this uh, post where I, not only did I get the, I, I didn't even try the single. It was a 44 K press that I failed at my cert. Not, I, I didn't need, after I had my training program, I didn't even try a single. I went straight double 40, straight double 44, straight single beast for the first time per side. So I had video of it. I wrote something on the old days of the RKC forum, which used to be very robust at the day. Yeah. And Pavel hopped on, it was like strong work, write an article. And through that article, I started having some 
you know, potential RKC coaches yeah. mm-hmm. um, reaching out to me for help for their press. Mm-hmm. And so I would do remote programming through that where it's like, here's a program. Eventually I created my own exercise library with links of exercises and stuff and would do email correspondence, but I wasn't doing, I've done a few virtual sessions over the years, but it's a different dynamic. Um, But it was mostly programming. When I left Mark Fisher Fitness, I had already been establishing an online coaching base like Die Mighty Online. Mm -hmm. And I was going to do that like as the majority of what I was going to make my money. My goal was I'll teach courses and do online coaching so I can travel, have more time at home with my family, not be at a studio and and write programs and do it wherever I'm at, as opposed mm-hmm. to like I'm training somebody in sessions, but I'm going to be, you know, wherever I, I've, I've taught a lot in, to say Tokyo, right. um, which I miss dearly right now. But the thing is, like when you have like 10 clients you're like on your computer a lot. And like, that's not what we want to do as coaches. Uh, And you have to treat it like a brick and mortar anyway. You don't have the same overhead, but you're doing computer work. And it wasn't as rewarding because you you, you write this great program, you send it out and you don't always even know, like some people don't follow up at all. And then, you know, the four weeks is up and it's time for a new program. They're like, awesome. That was great. Bill me again. Let's do it. And I'm like, did you do any of it? And then some people, it's like check-ins every, it feels like it's every five hours, you know? Um, And I got better at setting parameters, but I didn't love it. And Mm -hmm. at that time, pre-pandemic, it was that where I think a lot of us put on airs that were making a shit ton of money doing online coaching. Um, I think that's like, if you're charging a lot of money, I think that's kind of a misleading thing on how many people you're going to have on your roster. Or you might have a lot of people and you're likely charging less right? and just not being very vocal about it. Um, and then there was like the avenue where a lot of young coaches with no experience would like try to become an online person right out the gate. And then it's like, well, the hardest thing with online coaching and programming is you have to be able to communicate so clearly because it's yeah. via email or text largely. Right. So like if you're not experienced, how are you communicating those things? Because people can hurt themselves at a greater risk without our eyes on them directly. Mm -hmm. So we have online coaching. It's on our awning. Um, It became my least favorite thing to do. Um, Mm -hmm. We I've sort of phased it out in that fashion. We do have a one or two people that we write for. Yep. And then during the shutdown, obviously, like I was very grateful to have a background in this. Uh, I was, I don't want to say pessimistic about the shutdown. I was pretty realistic. It got worse than I was expecting, but mm-hmm. I knew when the word, like as things were rising in New York city, I knew that the shutdown was going to happen. I knew that it was going to be for more than two weeks. Yep. So we came up with a really wonderful, easy to follow system for the members. We got shut down on a Monday, Tuesday during the day, members came in, grabbed a little like bell band, Indian yeah. club kit. And by Tuesday night, we were online, 100% yeah. virtual. And that has not, we, we are back open, mm-hmm. but we have not gotten rid of any of our virtual stuff. So small group, if you small group train with us, we have up to six people in the speakeasy and mm-hmm. zero to three people online at the same time. So not only are they, uh, it adds virtual real estate to us but it allows the people at home to even feel the members in the gym as opposed to just other squares working from home. So again, you talk right. about community and creating this environment. We do name games, introductions, and everybody in the room gets to know everybody on the screen as opposed awesome. to just the Brady Bunch, you know, looking up and explaining exactly. down type thing. Um, and so for one-on-one, same thing. Most of our people are in person, but we have some people we train remote, either former clients or people that take a took a course with me or in, New York City, I don't know how it's by you. A lot of people obviously moved out over the last two and a yeah. half years. So people that have moved and they're training in, uh, we've got people from my five points days. We've got people from my MFF days, from my mm-hmm. catalyst days. Uh, it's kind of wonderful, but yeah. I don't do the distance programming as much unless it's a special circumstance. Sure, sure. It's it's interesting. I had a lot of similarities of of the shutdown as you did. You know, me and, uh, it's, you know, I worked at a space with a couple of, uh, partners in there and they were awesome. And we did the same thing. I was actually like Santa Claus bringing bells to people's houses when we had the shutdown. And 
made a virtual space. And what I found too, Steve, is like a lot of people for a short period of time, like a couple months, were like just like it was in the studio, like everybody was jumping on. But then you started to see kind of a little bit of the of the parting of the boats where some people almost kind of like you said, like had like some survivor's guilt, like I actually am doing really well. Like I'm enjoying this almost feel kind of weird. And other people needed that community and that space and kind of realized like, okay, like some people who thrived in the online based world, this was something that they just got done. They had their discipline down. They were just kind of doing it as a check mark type stuff. They didn't need that community feel that in person as much. So I think it kind of keeps coming back to that. You need to know exactly what it is that you want to build if you're a coach, like what fuels you? Because I know like I built an online business and it's really great, you know, and works well for me. But I know a lot of people who built it up and think because, oh, I can get all these clients and I can hammer it out in a half hour and do my work. You're thinking all about yourself, like and what you can do. The hardest thing for anybody that hits over, say, 15 online training clients that didn't directly steal them from their previous gym, right, Like, (laughs) is where do you get the actual reach from, right? Like, how do they find you and then filter all of us? Uh, You know, there was a time when you and I would have gone through the RKC where that information was precious. There was like, there was hardly any videos on YouTube. Yep. Instagram wasn't, maybe it was new. I don't, I don't, I may, might not have even been there yet. Facebook was like relatively new, maybe three mm-hmm. years in. Now, how do you know who's swing tutorial or the thumbs up, thumbs down, check, you know, X, how do you know who's the best? And and I'm in a weird position now where I see just dozens of people that took their certs with me and they're great. But it's all being positioned as this is our own precious stuff. Now, I didn't create the curriculum. I just communicate it. Um, so I'm not taking credit for it. But that's a hard thing. That's why I don't do many of those types of videos anymore. Right. So they give away so much free stuff. That's another thing I don't love about the fit- fitness industry. Like, we yeah. just give away so much uh, and then wonder why we're not getting paid enough. Um, yeah. Well, and I but, also think, too, it's like, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but it's no, like, I, I see another, like, I know there's a lot of good clean tutorials out there of stuff and like pressing. And I think that's great, but also it's like, we're kind of in many ways, like we're chatting with each other about it. It's like, it's not (laughs) like, that's the thing. We're all kind of, we're all kind of hanging out in like one little pond of going in here. And that's great. Like, you know, I've connected with a lot of great connection. I mean, this podcast has been not only like a friendship builder, but like such a connection and continuing education for me of all these things to dive into it. But as far as building clientele, it's like, it's a different type of thing. And that's why I love talking with guys like you who have built something that has a culture and a foundation behind. And that's why I I think Mark Fisher, I don't know Mark, but I've seen his work. Like he's kind of probably, I'm sure, very polarizing in himself as well. Not everybody's going to feel really great going in and working there. He's got his gel of what works really well. Well, I'll say this. If, you know, in their interview process, if you've, if they find you a fit and you find yourself a fit, you're going to love being there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the nicest, most well-intentioned ego-free spots that you can find. Like every place has its bad points, but MFF is so special in a way. And, and I say this, um, that I try to speak easy in terms of how we communicate with people to like live up to a standard of MFF. That like I've literally had moments where I'm like, and had, and then later had members come up where when I started in week one and we're having a team meeting and people are like patting each other on the back and hanging out and I'm like, is everybody this really fucking nice? And like, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, they are. And then we've had mem- newer newer ninjas would come in and you know like everyone has their own personalities. I think that's the thing too. Like people just think MFF is like very much like costume freaks of one variety, but there is we, there is an event oh, sure. within Absolutely. that as well. And members would come in like myself. Like I, I would say I came in very jaded and as a negative person, like I I'm always hopeful, but uh, one of the greatest gifts of that place isn't building my business. It is going to be that I, I did a lot of my own self-work, just mm. how I process stuff. Um, and you really start to be, and I think that also creates a thing where every other career, especially advertising post-product, there's so much shit talking in the background and uh, you know, other gyms have a lot of like that, that kind of shit talking and, 
Mm-hmm. MFF was the first place where I go, oh, no, if you have a problem with somebody, we're going to have that crucial conversation and, and hash it out as opposed to it like festering underneath. And the beauty is with the speakeasy, I took the elements that I loved about Mark Fisher Fitness. I took mm-hmm. the things that I liked about five points. And I took the things that I didn't like about any of them and was able to craft that of like, where do I want to go? Yes. And then during the pandemic, when we were trying to go into a survival, you know, like to stay, because we had just opened nine months before the shutdown. Yeah. So I not only wanted to survive, I wanted to make sure that when this is over or in whatever phase we're in now of it, that I like the systems in place that I can keep going as opposed to hating what I've just built. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of us, a lot of gyms closed because they didn't think that the shutdown was going to be more than two months or they didn't want to do, you know, how many coaches during six months into the shutdown didn't want to do online training? Yeah. Like COVID and the government are now not killing your business. You're killing yourself financially by like exactly. making the decision that this isn't your thing. And I'm just too much of like a punk rock scrapper in that way that I'm like, they can, you know, you're going to take the speakeasy from my cold, dead and heavily sanitized exactly. hands during the shutdown. Right. Um, so I think that's just it. It's uh, and whether they're online or in person. And I thought about, I'll be honest. I thought about closing the gym during the shutdown, because New York was one of the worst and one of the last yes. to open. Mm-hmm. And uh, our members and myself, very serious about it. Everybody in listening land, I know we have people with all different thoughts about that stuff. So I'm not going to get into it. But, you know, I'm taking care of my family and my members, my extended family. Uh, but I thought about closing. And because we could bring it into the living room, right? Like if we got shut down, I could do it without the overhead. Yeah. But I knew that like when things started to ease up, people need to be around people. Most people need to be around people. Yeah. And if you can create, again, this environment of trust and know that we have the safety standards involved as best we can, given what we were being told and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. um, that was important. And that's how we're finally like growing and succeeding now. So we're very grateful. I'm very grateful and proud of that. We've been actually somewhat profitable, but that somewhat as a new company was like, we made five bucks. Yeah. But I don't have that story of I never paid myself. I paid myself since day one. It's just my pay is either, you know, decreased or increased. Final mm-hmm. bit on MFF. I mean, you can ask me anything you want about that. It's like I still I'm, I didn't even realize we we're talking about it. Like uh, I'm still <laughs> mentored by them and mm-hmm. I'm part of their business for unicorns program. So they you know, I talk with with with. Michael Keeler and Mark Fisher and Pete Dupuy about how to run the business, how to grow, how to, mm-hmm. and that has also helped me survive and help. I don't want to say craft, but create this environment and this business that like I could be happy with, um, right. not just now making money, but moving forward into the future. Cause yeah. uh, I just turned 50. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel it, but like, I want to retire at some point. No doubt. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a long winded answer. Uh, listeners, I, I hope you were with me on that. Oh, 100%. Well, I'm with you. So that's what matters. So no, I'm just fine. Um, <laughs> no, I think what you said there too, it's like of, I mean, take these good principles of a lot of different things that you learn, but then kind of craft it into your own. You know, I think a lot of times when you first get into anything, it's like, just, you need to get the reps in, you know, it's like, just kind of get the things down, understand the principles behind it. But then eventually, like you need to craft, you need to kind of get your own intuition, your own creativity into it. And if you, as cliche as it sounds, if you stay true to yourself and it's fueling you, then I mean, there's, you know, no coincidence of how, you know, the places, especially in our field in health and fitness, the ones that have continued to thrive and to build the brand, they know who they are, they stay authentic and true to who they are, you know, and because it's, and at least be open when we don't like there's so much stuff that I don't know shit about, you know, so in terms of opening the business, I didn't know it. I was uh, I used to be a mentor in strength faction. If anybody's not familiar, look up mm. that program. Um, but there's programs like strength faction and they have a business coaching side. There's things like business for unicorns through MFF mm-hmm. that we as business as coaches, when we want to build our career, we focus on the certs as opposed to like we should probably be spending as much time in some sort of business planning group as well. Mm-hmm. Problem is every coach at some point tries to be a business planning. So you got to find the one that like is both legit and experienced and yes. that you align with, right? That makes sense. That's the hard part. Cause that became another, I, I probably get five quote unquote masterminds. How do you get 5,000 extra dollars a month? 
That's it. Know, yeah. And grow and grow that Instagram following by 10,000 overnight. And that stuff. Into- yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's finding the right people to grow yourself outside of just certifications as well. You yeah. know, cause, cause let's, I was talking with somebody yesterday. I have friends that love posting how almost every other month they take a certification and all that shows to me is they're not practicing any of it. Yeah. Or the smallest part of it. You can't go to an RKC one week and then the next week do level two and then the next week do some other program and then have practiced anything you needed to work on in the time in between. It happens. Somebody's going to be like, well, that's what I did. Awesome. But generally speaking, like I like to take like one or two things and and focus hard on it, practice it on my, in my own training and then Mm -hmm. start to introduce it to the members. Um, You know, it's funny that, you know, John Ingham said that to me after my first RKC, I remember, you know, and like back then, like you said, it was me trained hard for it. It was kind of a very deep weekend of a lot of work. I was exhausted. And I think hands torn. Oh, I had a pulled hamstring. I mean, I could go into, I mean, there was some crazy battle wounds there, but right before we got into the grad workout, um, John talked about kind of like, this is not the end, like this is the beginning type stuff. And of like, like anything. And it's, it sounds like, yeah, that kind of makes common sense, but as being a young 20 something trainer, like I, like, I just thought I just wanted to get this done. Not realizing that actually, I didn't know shit yet. Like you actually need to go and apply this and work with it. And I just thought like, I thought everybody just was going to love kettlebells. I would just talk about it and you would throw some, no, that's not how it actually works. You need to work on this every day and kind of build the process, you know, into it. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's all good stuff. It's an amazing journey. I mean, I literally, I, I, I'm still so grateful that I found five points. I went there yeah. for Muay Thai um, and that they had not just that they had a kettlebell program, but that they had like a a hard style educated Mm -hmm. program from it. And then going into Mark Fisher fitness, which had a, just the, you know, the, for all their programming, they wouldn't call themselves a kettlebell gym, but like kettlebells are the centerpiece of all that they do, Mm -hmm. but they don't market themselves, you know, like wisely, they don't market themselves as a kettlebell thing, but like, that's where I got more introduced to outside of the Dragon Door, Art Strong First World, yeah. like mm-hmm. Cressy, Boyle, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and having a bigger uh, lens to view all that stuff from. Plus the other things that threw, you know, all of the stuff came through Kettlebell. So like me finding out about sandbags, me meeting Jeff and then later Tim Anderson and, you know, Danny Almeida and OS and uh, ultimately like all the, the guys uh, and the team at Strength Faction, it's what's beautiful is when you go to those courses and you take them and you meet people and introduce people to other people. It's like, yeah, we have like just the greatest people looking to help people. It's just, sometimes we get in our own way. Yes. And sometimes we're misled. And then I do think some people like, you know, you talk about imposter syndrome and I struggle with it, even with all that I've managed to like, I will say that I have exceeded my own goals. Not that I'm wealthy or that like everything's stable, but like when I was starting out, it it was never about like, oh my gosh, I'm going to open a gym one day or travel to teach kettlebells. That's right. Blows my mind. Right. Super grateful for it. But, you know, I think there are some people that just think they're going to be instant experts and cash out. And I think that's the downside of our business. Um, Some people should use a little bit more imposter syndrome in the beginning to humble ourselves and then let that grow and then work through that as we get more experience. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing. That person is yelling about another person saying they want to lose 50 pounds in a month. It's like, you're doing the same exact thing, thinking you're going to be an expert overnight. And it's like, it is, I mean, you want, obviously results are great, you know, but when you actually fall in love with the process of it and do it, you know, I reference the book mastery by Robert green on here all the time about like, you have your apprenticeship phase where you got to get your reps in, just build that up. That could be years down the line. Then eventually, then you, you know, move into the creative side. Then you start molding in your ideas together and bring it in. Until then mastery, which, you know, I don't know if any of us ever, if you're really approaching mastery, any of us ever get there, you're just sharpening the sword every day and you're yeah. learning new stuff. But the connection of people that are like-minded and you meet some great people on, I mean, this fuels you up, you know, I'm fueled from these conversations for the rest of the day by just 
being in this space and stuff like that. And I think, yeah. especially as young coaches, I would say like, just talk to as many coaches as possible, get ideas, like just talk to people. Like So just- important. And we were talking about this a little bit in the beginning, like when, and again, I think the, the kettle, I don't want to keep picking on the kettlebell world. I don't know enough, but kettlebell set this like wall between leadership and, and the attendees mm-hmm. at the start. I, I'm not saying it's like that now. But it created this boundary, like, where can you really talk to somebody, you know, versus like, if you were to reach out to Brett, Brett Jones, or Dan John, or Josh Hankin, you know, like, they're the nicest people. Like, you just, if you go to a Perform Better, you know, summit and go, you know, see Greg Cook, you can say hi and and ask yeah. a question. Um, and I think that gets lost. Uh and that's what's nice about shows like this, where you get to, uh, not that I'm in that category, when you're on your D-list coach uh, names, that you get to see, like, <laughs> we're all just trying to do the same thing and everyone's just learning. But people with the most experience are generally the most open to sharing it. Yeah. Um, like Dan John, I don't know if you've ever been at a course where he's done this, but he'll, he, he has visited a, a cert that I was teaching and he will walk onto the dry erase board, introduce himself, say hi, give a couple of points and write his cell phone number yeah. on the board and be like, call me if you have any questions. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah. Dan is the one I've, I've emailed Dan about being, he's been on the podcast a couple of different times and I've emailed him before and I've literally got a response back in 10 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When do you want to jump? When do you want to go? It's like, it is. And it is, it's, I mean, these people, uh, you know, as coaches, especially if you've been a decade in here, I mean, you've learned some stuff. You probably taught a bit before if you've, you know, got some sense on it, but no, it's like the most people that I found, like everybody's just excited to talk about this stuff. Cause you've got more ideas, you keep yourself sharp in the game. And if you're doing that, then I think it's a net positive for everybody. It's going to help coaches, going to help, you know, clients. I mean, that's, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're not going crazy and solving insane, you know, problems of the world, but we kind of are, you know, we're making people healthier. We're making people better every day. I mean, it's, it's important stuff that we do. I don't want any of my like uh, levity or ego removal to take apart that like we better lives. But uh, yeah, it's also, I mean, you can hear, I'm hoping everybody listening to this is hearing like, we're just two nerds. I mean, we're talking so, kettlebells like absolutely. we would talk Star Wars. Like, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what keeps it exciting and curious. Uh, but neither of us are trying to one up each other, you know, and I think yeah. that's where it comes in sometimes in a competition land. Yes. But in terms of creating the, the environment, that's, I guess it all goes to like, where can I be happy and, and, and that's what I've done. And that's what I try to do for my team, um, yeah. you know, to create a spot where they can avoid some of the pitfalls of other, you know, gyms that I've been uh, not necessarily a part of, but involved in. I, I've had a unique experience of having taught at a lot of gyms and I've seen some great stuff and I've seen some horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah. definitely you learn, sometimes you even learn more from the horrible ones. Yeah. Um, but you learn, you learn more from the, you learn more from the fun one. You know, the quote that Brett always tells me, which I love, you know, and this is in his new book, Iron Cardio, because he's, Brett knows more movie quotes than anybody I've ever known in my <laughs> entire life. But he says, like, if you're not laughing, you're not learning. And I'm like, that's such a beautiful line, you know, in there, because people take this stuff so seriously with the movements. And it is like, you know, obviously you want to do it right. But I've had this debate with people about technique and like where everybody's nitpicking people's techniques. And it's like, it looks okay just do it more. Like, yeah. you know, if you do, if you do that every day, you're going to be well better off in a couple of weeks without worrying about the perfect technique down on everything. It, Brett said this thing and it, it might've been at the same course that he he's had the windmill thing. I, I want to say that it was an SFG two that Phil was hosting at the time before. I don't know what we call that split, but um they're both awesome, but he said something that still rings true to me. He said he was talking about how like the foot positions might not be symmetrical. They might be a little off. Like don't, he was talking also, I think he would had been doing some um, Kelly started advice that he'd read about feet forward and that he was mentioning how, yeah, it started to grind out the last of my knees. Uh, but he said like, look, I, I, I'm this master instructor and I have some members that you would see swing that you would never think I taught them to swing, but it's the best swing that they have. <laughs> and I definitely have over the years had people that would fall into that category where 
more than not could go and pass a cert tomorrow, you know, not necessarily a snatch test, but could go on technique. And then I some people, it's just the best that they can do. Yeah. Uh, and we get so caught up in that, like, you know, everything has to be perfect and here's your stick diagram and mm-hmm. all of that stuff versus like, let people have the time to learn. Yeah. you know, and, and to grow? And, uh, again, like how, if it's safe and they're progressing, how important is that last 2%? Yeah. As a coach, I think that's one of the things we have to get better at too, is just running our own businesses, right? Like, like, am I getting caught uh, caught up and wasting time on dumb minutia, you know, yes. granular versus big rocks? Yes. You know, I do this, I do this, uh, uh, I, I no longer teach specifically for an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, uh, for kettlebells, I, I still teach for original strength and DVRT. But um, we, I, I created this six-week online program that we're going to condense into three called Die Mighty Method. And it's just the most fastest, easy, applicable. It's not a sales pitch, but it, it literally, we take the three big parts of a swing, mm-hmm. right? We could talk all about the toes and the lats and all this stuff, but it's a hinge or plank with breath applied. And then you build from there. But we get so caught up and, you know, looking for perfection within session one that sometimes we lose sight. And then we're like, why are we having to go all the way back to the plank when they've been doing it five, you know, for, right. for five months? It's because we tried too hard in the beginning and didn't just live with the plank. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, simplifying that out. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a big thing. And I think that's that's one of the best things of like assisting and going that deep into it because you find these little pathways that you can get a little bit quicker there. Um, you know, down. Sure. That, and I think the be- the more you do it, the more you're just involved in it, the more you find a faster route to solve that problem. And sometimes it's like, just step back and let them do their thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll just say it because it was a great program that helped me that I know they've been promoting lately. Uh, again, is uh, a- 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 Andrea and uh, Zars uh, Instructor Toolbox. I mm. took a version of that. Had to have been 20, somewhere around 2012. And it was like a half day, I think. And it was awesome. Yeah. And it's just those shortcuts that are not necessarily in the manual or that you're, you know, this is the thing, like so many, so many of us just repeat what we've taken, learned in a cert or a manual versus like, oh, these are the things, the shortcuts or the verbiage that I came up with that seems to Mm -hmm. resonate. Um, And like, so my thing's kind of like a longer form. It's meant to be more about teaching focused than just purely technique focused. Um, But like their instructor toolbox was like a, awesome thing when I took it. And I feel like we need more of those than like full blown out more kettlebell certs. Yeah. Um, you know, cause at some point, how different is it, you know? And then yeah. you got to go like, what's your environment? Like I like kettlebell juggling in Brooklyn. I don't have many opportunities to do kettlebell juggling, but when mm. I'm out in like my house in PA or, or if I'm by like a yard, like I'll, I'll mess around with it, but I'm not necessarily going to go. I did take a workshop. I shouldn't say I wouldn't take a cert in it. Gus Peterson, OG yeah. kettlebell juggler, and I, we almost, I almost took it, but like, is that going to be the thing that brings your clients versus that's a nerdy thing for me? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, mm-hmm. so there's that, that barrier. Yeah. Um, but, but now the basics and then everything else is easier. Exactly. I love it. Um, Steve, dude, it's been a blast reconnecting with you, man. Like, <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Yeah, seriously. Like, we'll have to do this again. I feel like this uh, went by way too fast. This went, so, we've been chatting like an hour. This oh, went no really doubt. fast. Absolutely. Yeah, we went super fast. Time flies when you're nerding out on this stuff. So, <laughs> um, so, so what's the die, the die mighty program? Is that what? Yeah, so it's die mighty method. We don't have okay. one on the calendar right now, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, basically it was every, Every week we went over one of the big six and there'd be like a visual breakdown and then a video breakdown. And while we were, while we do the moves, the members in the group, and it's limited to 10 people post up themselves doing it. So everybody involved gets to coach up mm-hmm. each other as well as, and then me and Tina Morin from MSC strength and condition, she's my mm-hmm. partner in it. And then we do a group zoom, which has like, you could either be at Tina's gym at the speakeasy or on zoom. So yeah. location doesn't matter. And we all do group breakdown. So what's awesome about it is, we were spending six weeks together, you know, not super time. It's low cost. It wasn't super time inclusive. Um, but you really got to practice the stuff. 
Nice. Now we are going to condense that into three weeks because six weeks is a long block of time. So it'll be two movements a week with the group Zoom, where we'll go over cool. both of them. But it's just a, an ego-free way. So say like you're, uh, it'd be more say when I was your assistant instructor at the at level two, but it was a level one. And you know, you come out of, we come out of our level ones and we're like, fuck, I know I need to work on my swing. Yeah. Here's how it goes for me. But also mm-hmm. I now have seven new people in my gym. How am I going to, what's the quickest way for me to view what they're doing and how to improve the important big rocks and then go granular. Mm-hmm. And we just break that down so that as we're teaching them, everything is like, it's not all new, like, you know, like a swing of one arm, swing and a snatch and a clean. All that changes really is one arm or two and where it lands. That's it. Where's it going? And where it so like you start to also simplify the process that it's not just three or four different moves. It's actually like one move with a subtle change. Mm. And uh, so there's that. And we still I still teach for original strength. I've got one coming up. Uh, it's got three spots left December 4th at the speakeasy. So anybody, if you're in Brooklyn, cool. uh, it's on my Instagram is the link for that. Uh, Instagram is at speakeasy of strength and why mm-hmm. uh, still, we just did a DVRT workshop a couple of weeks ago um, in the city, still teaching for them. I don't have anything booked right now. Admittedly with the speakeasy and just spending time with my family. I'm not, it's funny during the shutdown. I was like, I miss teaching so much. And then after the shutdown is like, and the gyms like became the focus. I'm like, I like being with my family yeah. so much. Cause that's the other thing, you know, you work all week and you go teach and then you come back and you work. So, you, you know, I used to teach 16 to 18 courses a year. Yeah. Now I'm looking at like five. So I okay. know we're going to be doing some more stuff in 2023, but purposely kept it light. Um, but yeah, this was super fun. Uh, oh, yeah, thank no you doubt. for having me on honored Absolutely. to be included amongst your, uh, rad guest list. Um, yeah. You can sit as a low point. <laughs> oh, stop. No, this is great. No, seriously, I'm going to have to have you back on. We got a lot more to chat about. I appreciate it. So we didn't even talk Star Wars or superheroes. Oh, my. And I just finished The Mandalorian, too. So we'll have to I'll, I'll leave that as a as a teaser <laughs> going on for everybody. So, Steve, dude, right. thanks so much, man. All right. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you so much. Go follow Steve. Talk to you guys later. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. All right, much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.